Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. I have been a Christian long enough to have heard a lot of predictions how this new invention or that new technology means that the rapture is almost here. <laughs> Computers were a work of the devil at one time, and RFI chips were supposed to be the mark of the beast. But it usually is the church that embraces technological advancements that end up experiencing large growth. When electricity and the light bulb were first available, it was embraced by some churches and installed as an attraction to help the evening services. But I have had to admit that when I first heard about these new AI apps, it, it did make me pause for a little bit and assess what they mean to the church. And in an article entitled Thoughts on AI and Chat GPT for the Church, Carl Barnhill, who writes for uh, 2030 Media, said, I'm a big buff, a big movie buff. And back in the day, one of my favorite movies was Terminator 2 Judgment Day. <laughs> the movie starred Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton and was about a Terminator sent from the future to protect young John Connor. M Machines had, uh, had sent an upgraded Terminator back in time to kill John Connor, as John would be the one to lead an army that would prevent Judgment Day from happening. The movie's premise centered around the idea that machines would take over humans and destroy mankind. Maybe a little over the top, but machines have been taking over our lives. Uh, technology, uh, technology that seemed like science fiction just years ago is now very much reality. Artificial intelligence has come quite a long way. Deep fake videos are nearly really indistinguishable from the real person. And if you haven't seen what the deep fake videos are, deep fake videos are where the, the face of someone is placed over someone else's face. And this is all done by computer and making it look very much like that person was doing those things in the video. But of course, it's completely fake. <laughs> and wh while the the complications of this technology can be can be scary, I mean, if you think about um, like video evidence in a courtroom against you or something, <laughs> there can also be reasons to be intrigued about this new technology. With any technology, it can be used for evil, and it can also be used for good. There have recently been two tools released that are generating lots of buzz. And that's Lenza, um, which takes your your photos and, and creates an AI version of you. I first saw this being discussed in some of my board game groups. Uh, there, there are many artists right now that, that help game creators. Uh, they'll, they'll create um, pictures for their cards or, or whatever the case may be, you know, the, the, the playing boards, all kinds of things. And they're very worried about this kind of AI replacing them completely. Another project released by OpenAI is ChatGPT. 
Now, OpenAI is a nonprofit that exists to develop uh, AI technology. And ChatGPT allows you to chat directly with an AI program and use it to access information and create content for you. Now, ChatGPT, which stands for uh, Generative Pre-Trained Transformer, is truly revolutionary and is available to the public um, and public for use for free as they are developing it. Though it has been met with positive reviews, there are some cautions that we should be aware of. The, the AI promotes itself as non-bias, uh, non-creative technology. Though, when prompting it to argue for traditional Christian conservative values, it, it does struggle. Uh, we, we need to remember that usually big tech, uh, where they're, they're usually left-leaning, right? And, and progressive, uh, they're, they're kind of the progressive wizard behind the curtain programming it. And, and, they're, and they're just usually leftists. That, that considered... I do see some pretty incredible applications for the church. And I'm not suggesting you plagiarize AI or have AI write and produce all of your content and have, uh, but, but, but having the AI write, you know, blogs and produce social media ideas, sermon series titles and subtitle ideas and the like can at least help you get the ball rolling in your, your idea phase, if you're a pastor or, or a ministry leader. Now, you can ask GPT things like, list five titles and subtitles for a sermon series on the book of Acts. And chat, chat GPT's response will be, the birth of the church, a study of Acts 1 through 12. The spread of the gospel, Acts 13 through 28. The power of the Holy Spirit in Acts. The Triumphs and Trials of the Early Church, a Look at Acts, and Living Boldly for Christ, Lessons from the Book of Acts. All very good things, right? You can ask it, write a short blog post uh, using these three points from my sermon. Point one, God is powerful. Point two, God is patient. And point three, God is protective. Well, what is ChatGPT's response? In today's world, it's easy to feel overwhelmed by the challenges and struggles we face daily. From personal struggles to global events, it can sometimes feel like we're up against impossible odds. But as Christians, we have a powerful source of strength and hope. God. God is a powerful force in our lives. He created the universe and everything in it. He holds all things together. This means that no matter what challenges we may face, God is more than capable of helping us overcome them. But God's power isn't just about brute strength. He is also incredibly patient. He doesn't force us to follow him, but instead gives us the choice to do so. And even when we make mistakes or, or wander from the path he has set, that, that he has set for us, he is patient and loving, always ready to forgive and welcome us back into his embrace. And God isn't just powerful and patient. He is also protective. He watches over us and guides us, helping us to avoid dangers and pitfalls. He provides for us and, and protects us from harm, both physically and spiritually. 
All of these qualities combine to make God a powerful force in our life. No matter what challenges we may face, we can trust in his power, his patience, and his protection to see us through. So let us turn to him in faith, knowing that he is always with us, watching over us, and ready to help us when we need it. That was all written by this chat GPT just with that one question. And it was all done in about three seconds. Or how about we uh, we ask it, list 10 catchy social media post lines of text from my sermon, God is Love. And, and here's the 10 that it again, produces. God is love and his love knows no bounds. In God's love, we find acceptance and belonging. God's love is a love that transforms us from the inside out. God's love is not just feeling, it's a way of life. God's love is the foundation of all that is good and true. God's love is the source of our strength and courage. God's love is what makes us fully alive. God's love is the answer to all of our fears and doubts. God's love is the light that guides us through life's darkest moments. God's love is the greatest gift of all, and it is freely given to all who seek it. Pretty freaky, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, to be able to produce those right there, those those 10 right there it, with, with just the limit, limited amount of information that it was asked is a little bit freaky. And the author said that that he had a few closing thoughts that he wrote himself, by the way. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Should we trust him? <laughs> he says, number one, plagiarism can be a significant issue and can be a struggle. Let's never use AI to replace what God lays on our hearts to share with others. Number two, humans have an inward desire to connect with other humans. Discipleship happens with real people in real life. And number three, this tech will be better. And it would be unwise for us to ignore innovations like this virtual reality, and, and, and others being more readily accessible. Number four, humans write and program artificial intelligence. There is a brain and a bias somewhere, and you just have to dig far enough or wait for the truth to be exposed. There are real people pulling the levers of the machines. And number five, nothing will replace a person's need for community and for Jesus. So, given all of that, I decided to put the the chat GPT to the test. And I decided to, to give it a little bit of a of a of a test and a quiz on on uh, on a little bit of of theology. So, I put into it create a short essay about the biblical and unbiblical features of pre-wrath theology. <laughs> I I also asked it to do you know uh, pre-trib and mid-trib as well and and it, it actually all came out almost identical, just with a few tweaks here and there obviously for the different theologies. So here's what it said: Pre-wrath theology is a view of the end times that posits the return of Jesus Christ to occur just before the wrath of God is poured out during the seven-year. Tri- uh, tribulation period described in the Bible. 
while there are biblical features to this view, there are also unbiblical aspects. One of the biblical features of pre-wrath theology is its emphasis on the timing of the return of Jesus Christ. According to this view, the return of Christ will occur just before the outpouring of God's wrath during the tribulation period. This is based on passages in the New Testament that de- describe the return of Christ as a time of deliverance for believers who will be rescued from the wrath to come. Another biblical feature of pre-wrath theology is its focus on the biblical text. This view emphasizes a close examination of scripture and seeks to avoid speculation and unscriptural interpretations. This approach helps to maintain the integrity of the Bible uh, message and ensures that end times theology is based on a solid foundation of scripture. However, there are also on biblical aspects of pre-wrath theology. One of these is the lack of scriptural support for the exact timing of the tribulation period and the return of Christ. While the Bible describes these events, it does not specify the exact timing, leading to a range of interpretations among end-time scholars. Another unbiblical aspect of pre-wrath theology is its potential to overemphasize end times scenarios and predictions. This can distract from the central message the gospel uh, of the gospel and lead to a focus on speculative scenarios rather than the message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. In conclusion, while pre-wrath theology has biblical features such as its emphasis on the timing of the return of Christ and its focus on the biblical text, It also contains unbiblical aspects such as the lack of scriptural support for the exact timing of the tribulation period and the return of Christ, and its potential to overemphasize end-time scenarios and predictions. As with all end-times theologies or theories, it is important to remain focused on the central message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ rather than getting caught up in the speculative interpretations. That's what it said. And again, it produced this in literally amount of, of just simple seconds. And as you can see, it it actually struggles in the area of theology. So for for instance, when, when it says that the Bible doesn't tell us how long the time of tribulation will be, well, that's not exactly true. <laughs> I mean, according to the dispensationalists who who hold the the, the futurist view, uh, which is a lot of the church. The, the tribulation is uh, thought to occur before the second coming of Jesus and during the end times. In this view, the tribulation will last seven prophetic Hebrew years, which are actually 360 days rather than 365. Uh, and, and in all, the, the great tribulation will, will be the second half of the tribulation period. In this view, this seven-year period is considered to be the the final weeks of Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks found in Daniel chapter 9. It without getting into a whole, you know, college degree type thing from uh, from a Bible college. It, it is the it is theorized that each week represents 7 years. After 7 weeks and another 62 weeks, the, the prophecy says that the Messiah will be quote cut off unquote 
which is taken to correspond with the death of Christ. I mean, when else would that be the case, right? And so this is seen as creating a break of intermittent length in the timeline, which leaves us with, because 7 plus 62 is 69, right? That leaves us with one week remaining to be fulfilled. There are other passages in Daniel and and the book of Revelation that, that actually support this. So we believe, most most believe, that that this time period biblically that, that that's going to be the time of tribulation is going to be seven years, a literal seven years period of time. Now, other unbiblical aspects uh, of these theories, um, it says, are that that by un, that by by studying end time scriptures too much that it can distract from salvation message of Jesus Christ. And, and, and really, while this can be true, it is not unbiblical to consider what the Bible has to say when it comes to end times type of things, right? I mean, it's in the Bible for a reason, and we're supposed to study the Bible, so why not study end times? So to say that, well, by studying end times, this is unbiblical, it, it, it's it's kind of not really, that's not really, really very true. So with this in mind, I asked it to grade and, and analyze its own essay. I thought I'd take it a step further, right? And here's what it had to say. It said it gave itself a B plus grade. <laughs> it said the analysis was that this essay provides a balanced analysis of the biblical and unbiblical features of pre-wrath theology. The writer starts by clearing, clearly defining the view and then goes on to highlight the biblical aspects, such as the emphasis on the timing of Christ's return and the focus on biblical texts. The writer also acknowledges the limitations of the view pointing out the lack of scriptural support for the exact timing of the tribulation period and the return of Christ and the potential for overemphasis on end-time scenarios. The conclusion effectively ties together the main points and reinforces the importance in maintaining focus on the central message of salvation. The language used is clear and concise, and the writer can uh, demonstrate a good understanding of the topic. The essay could be further improved by providing more specific examples or passages from scripture to support the writer's points. Overall, a well-written and well-structured essay. (laughs) That's its analysis, analysis of its own writing. And now you see why colleges and universities are worried about this, this new technology. I mean, not only can a student use it to, to plagiarize, I mean, they could put in, you know, if, if, I'm, to, if I'm to write an essay on, on uh, dogs or something, they could just simply put that in uh, to this uh, chat G, GPT and then come out with a whole essay. Um, and, and they could plagiarize that. Um, but it can actually do the work of the professor as well by analyzing the essay and giving analysis of it. So, uh, so this is definitely something that a lot of people are keeping their eye on. But should the church be concerned with all this new AI? Well, Russell Moore, writing for Christianity Today, says this. He says, no, our future children or grandchildren will not be evangelized by a robot. 
<laughs> it says chat gpt the the eerie accurate artificial intelligence ai information gathering and and writing chatbot that launched uh this past november is worrying and grow a growing number of people teachers are wondering how a genu- genuine high school or college essay will be possible again when any student could produce within minutes a fully formed original footnoted paper some ask whether this or future ai could do job performance reviews for employees and some are starting to ponder whether the smart tech could be headed for another place the pulpits of our church journalist matt labosh noted that the new york Rabbi Josh Franklin had the chatbot write an entire sermon for him. He didn't tell the congregation until after um, a- afterward that the sermon was written by someone else. When he asked them to guess who wrote it, they identified the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who perhaps is the most renowned Jewish preacher of, of the last 20 years. Imagine the synagogue's reaction when they were told that the sermon they liked so much was assembled with zero human contribution. This is the future. Is this the future of Christian preaching? And you might respond with, of course not. Maybe you just can't believe such a thing could happen, but imagine trying to explain Google or, or a smartphone Bible app to a person 30 years ago. What if Everywhere accessible, AI could write completely orthodox, biblically anchored, and compelling argument, uh, argued sermons for pastors every week. Garrison Keeler uh, told a, a story about a man who, whose pastor asked whether he believed in infant baptism, and the man responded, believe in it? I've seen it done. <laughs> if if we're asking whether artificial intelligence can can know the Bible and and research themes and backgrounds and and write applications to life and and um, you know imperatives for for action as well, well, we've seen it done. But the real question is not about technological possibility. It's not really about church leadership ethics either. Rather, the question is about what preaching actually is. When, when I first told my pastor, is the, the author here says, uh, that I, I thought maybe God was calling me to full-time ministry, and it was at the age of 12 or so, he told me that I would preach in three weeks on a Sunday night, and I said, I don't mean he's calling me now, I mean he's calling me when I grew up. And he answered, well, I'm calling you now and I'm going to teach you what to do. And he did. He gave me a book of sermon starters and outlines of of biblical texts and possible applications. And he offered some tips for speaking on interpreting the text. And when that Sunday night came around, I went into the little bathroom in, you know, beside the, the baptistry of our Baptist church and threw up both right before and right after preaching. (laughs) The sermon was awful, and I'm glad it wasn't recorded. (laughs) I wouldn't recommend handling the situation quite that way, but there was something beautiful in it. And he knew that I would look out on a congregation of people whom I loved and who loved me, who 
who taught me on a sun, uh, you know, in Sunday school and training union and vacation Bible school and, and Bible sword drills, he knew I would see their, their familiar faces beaming back at me, reassuring that they were for me no matter how I stammered or lost my place. And he knew that afterward they would encourage me and pray for me no matter how bad the sermon was. And he knew that the very presence of this little guy in the pulpit would remind the congregation that the gospel went forward into the future, that God was still sending the light and calling out the called. In that moment, something happened to me, he says, beyond the content on the page or the way I said the words. In fact, I'm not sure I could even really describe that something was. Over the years, when teaching seminary classes and ministering in pastor cohorts, I found that the primary problem for most of my students was not a lack of competence in discerning biblical truth or speaking in front of crowds. I know there are some current and aspiring preachers who don't take the Bible or the task of preaching seriously. I know it. I've seen it. But that was seldom the case with virtually everyone and anyone I ever taught. Rather, for some, the tendency was to collate commentaries and then diagram the text down to points and and subpoints and sub subpoints. <laughs> what many of those students eventually started to see was that the preaching moment is more than the sum of its parts. And in the best of cases, our audiences should witness the same thing. Yes, preaching needs someone who knows the text and can convey that to the people. But It's not just about transmitting information. The preacher is delivering good news. That's true even when the sermon speaks of God's judgment. After John the Baptist told his listeners that they were vipers who should flee the wrath to come, chaff that would be soon uh, soon be burned with unquenchable fire, Luke writes, quote, with many other words, John exhorted the people and exclaimed the good news to them. So when you hear a sermon, you're not hearing the equivalent of a motivational speech or even a biblical theological or, you know, ethical uh, seminar. An AI program like, you know, will likely be able to do all of that, maybe even with special attention paid to doctrinal, traditional, and denominational affiliation and preferred even Bible translation. But since chat GPT can uh, replicate the writing of Ernest Hemingway or William Shakespeare on command, there's no reason why it couldn't follow the instructions to write a sermon in the style of, let's say, Charles Spurgeon or John Piper or Joel Osteen. To the church at Corinth, the, the, the Apostle Paul writes to himself, and those with with him this way. He says, quote, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as through God we we're, um, we're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.20. 
And when we listen to the word preached, we are hearing not just a word about God, but a word from God. Can the ambassador garble the communication from, from the embassy? Sure. Could an unscrupulous diplomat rewrite the, the transmission? It happens all the time. And that's why the congregation needs biblical grounding and, and the, spirit, the Spirit's wisdom to weigh the message. The gravity of, of preaching the Word isn't the same as gathering data and presenting it. it at, at its best, we are the audience. We're hearing from the fellow redeemed sinner, one who has you know, grappled with the text. And as we listen, we are less like researchers looking for information than like the parents of a missing in action soldier waiting for the officer at the door to give us news on our child. In fact, the stakes are even higher. The good news is even more joyous. The message, whether your child has been found alive or your child is gone, could utterly upend the parents' lives. The wording of the, of the message matters to a degree. But the point here is that this type of message shouldn't come by text or email. Such life-altering news needs to be delivered by a human and in person. A chatbot chat can, can never research. Um, a chatbot... You know, they, a, a chatbot can research. A chatbot can write even, and per, and perhaps a chatbot can even orate. But a chatbot can't preach. And to me, it will be interesting to see where this technology goes in the next few years, because there there are some real applications here, but there's some real dangers as well. And and many will say, well, this is you know this is it. This is the sign of the, of the end times. And to me, I think it's just a sign of the season, as the Bible puts it. We can see that we're getting closer and closer to end times by different things, and this just simply being one of them. You can agree with me. You can disagree with me on this. And I would love to have this as a discussion starter. And you can, of course, always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.